Well, Brother Kacken, Brother Will, I remember your dad. We used to have big breakfast here. We had men on fire. Um, it was a big group, and, and uh, he was such a good cook because he cooked in the military, and he knew how to cook eggs real well. And he used to tell me, don't overcook them. Leave them a little runny, and they will cook while they're sitting. Um, but his dad was a great preacher. I have known him and his mom for many years. I remember the way back at the Deliverance Center. I remember when we went to Hebron, they showed up and supported me there. Um, you know, and, and I just think of all the years uh, that I've known your family and, and Scott and Stephen and, and, and others. And I think you have two other bro two brothers in the ministry full time, um, as well as yourself. And I know you're you're in Tennessee now, Georgia. Georgia I get those mixed up down there. But brother uh, Willie, why don't you come and bless us? And it's good to have you and your wife and your lovely daughter. Amen. Good morning. Amen. Wow. This is old home days. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You know, it's it's hard to uh Understand sometimes, you, you know, I, I stand here in a little bit of emotion. This was kind of where it all began for me. Many, many years ago. Probably about 40 or so years ago at this point. And uh, I sat right down there. As just a young man, not much over 10 years old. And it's where I first began to get involved in ministry. I've been on this platform, stood over there on that side with a bass guitar in my hands. I don't play bass guitar. But Bill Hiltz, who was the pastor at the time, was insistent that us young people would be involved in ministry. And... And he had this little trick where he would use his foot to let us know. He'd tell us what key we were in, and then he would use his foot to go up, middle, and down so we knew exactly which chords to hit. And uh, we had a teen girl who played the drums. My brother played the electric guitar, and I played the bass guitar. And I wish I could say I really went on to learn from there. I didn't. But um, we managed to make some music when there wasn't any music in the church, and he played his acoustic guitar. And uh, we had quite a time. I'm going to share a little bit more about that story uh, toward the end of my message this morning. But it's good to be here. It's good to be back home. Uh, I was walking through the uh, downstairs a little while ago, and uh, I had to laugh. I, I went over to the bottom right here at the wall and stood about three-quarters of the way across it there. I said, I cannot tell you how many hours I stared at that wall. We had an ACE school, and we had cubicles that you had to sit in. I spent a good part of my days for several years staring at that portion of the wall, especially when I didn't want to do my schoolwork. Uh, been a long time, long time, a lot of water under the bridge, a lot of life 
that has happened since then, but it's good to be able to be here this morning. Good to be able to come and just be able to uh, be with you and to share with you in this place and share some memories and remember all that uh, has happened and all that God has done. I want to talk to you for a few minutes this morning. Don't want to just preach at you. Don't want to just lecture you. I just want to share with you this morning. And I want to talk to you about doing good. Doing good for goodness sake. If we could stand together, I'd like to just uh, read a verse of Scripture, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10. If you have your Bibles and want to turn there with me, just one verse, Galatians the 6th chapter and the 10th verse. Paul is speaking here and he writes to the church in Galatia and he says this, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let's go back just for a minute. I want you to notice the first part of that verse. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good. Would you look at someone near you this morning and just say, do good? If you take anything from this message this morning, if you take anything from what I'm sharing with you, I hope it is those two words. Go and do good. Make a difference. Affect someone else. Uh, Touch their hearts. Make a positive change. Share a light. Give to others. Simply, it's not complicated. It's not greatly theological. It's not uh, in-depth. You don't need a doctoral degree. Just simply go and do good. Could we pray together? God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can read your word, that we can learn from your word, we can grow through your word, and God, help us to apply your word. For often we know things that we don't apply. Lord, for the busyness of life, for the lack of effort, Uh, for the busyness of the day. We just don't take and put that into practice. But God, some of the very most important things of your word are also the simplest things. God, help us today. Help us to be not just hearers, but doers of your word. Help us to go and to do good in Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. amen. You may be seated this morning. How many of you have ever seen the old Disney movie, Pollyanna? You remember that old classic? I only see one or two hands going up. That is an old classic. In the story of Pollyanna, a young lady, Pollyanna Whittier, whose family, whose parents were home missionaries, die. They pass away. And she is sent to live with a crotchety, old, but dutiful aunt in a little town called Beldingsville. And when she gets there, everyone is shocked to see her bubbly personality and her uh, great attitude toward life, so much so that it drives people a little bit batty. They can't understand why she is so happy, she's so joyous, despite all the bad things that have happened to her. One day she gets into a conversation with some of the hired help for her aunt, And they begin to question her, and she talks to them about something she learned from her father called the glad game. And they go, what in the world is a glad game? 
And after a little bit, she begins to tell him, she says, well, it's like this. She said, it's when you find something good about the circumstance you're in, no matter what it is, no matter what has happened. She said, like, for instance, she said, when I was a little, little girl, she said, I wanted a doll and I wanted a little doll desperately. And when the buckets came in, the missionary barrels came in and the missionary aid was sent to us, there wasn't a little doll there, but there were crutches. And she said, I was disappointed because I wanted a doll. And the help asked, they said, well, what did you do? She said, well, in the missionary barrel, there were crutches. And so my father told me, he said, what an opportunity to play the glad game. You can be glad this morning. And she said, what is there to be glad about? He said, you can be glad that you don't need the crutches. And that was the beginning of the glad game. And they had played that over and over again. And she had made that part of her life. And the longer that she stayed in this little town, she began to be infectious. She began to contaminate the other people in town with her joy and her gladness. One day she went out into the local field and wandered just out of town. And she found the pastor of the church practicing his Sunday sermon. And he was out there, and he was uh, oratizing, and then he was saying great big words, and he was preaching brimstone and hellfire, and he was telling people what they were doing wrong, and that they had got to straighten out. And she walked up to him, she sat down, and she listened to him. Finally, he turned around and noticed she was there. And so he paused and came over, and he began to talk with her. Incidentally, it was interesting that that preacher was beholden to the aunt and always got his preaching tips from the grudging old aunt. And so she began to preach, uh, speak to him, and she said, you know, my father was a preacher, and my dad used to tell me about all the rejoicing verses in the Bible. And he goes, the rejoicing verses? She goes, yes, many, many rejoicing verses, hundreds of them in the Bible about rejoicing and giving thanks and the good things that God has done for us. And the preacher looked kind of thoughtful for a moment. The scene changes and the movie goes on. But in time, he goes to study his Bible and he finds those verses. And eventually he decides to change his preaching style. And he says, you know what? From this day forward, as he stood in his pulpit, he said, I'm going to begin to preach from one of those verses every Sunday until I have exhausted them. Of all the good things that God has done and all the things there are to rejoice and to be thankful about. Well, this morning, I'm not going to talk about the rejoicing verses, but I do want to share with you about the good verses. Did you know that the Bible uses the word good 749 times? 749 times in the Bible. The word good is used. Scattered all through Scripture. <coughs> if you were to see it on a graph, you would see an even distribution all through Scripture. God over and over and over again uses the word good good. I don't know about you, but now and then I need to hear some good news. How many of you are with me? You turn on the evening news, you pick up your cell phone, you read the latest heading, and there's so much awful stuff that's going on. So much evil stuff, so much hurtful stuff, so much sad stuff, so much stuff that would load you down with care. There are times where I have to just say, I'm not looking at this anymore. I can't because it makes me start feeling like this. Enough is enough. <coughs> and 
Sometimes we have to just make a choice to put our phones down and not to look anymore about all the negative things that are happening. You see, in a world where society seems to be going off the rails, in a world where people seem to be bonkers and common sense is not common anymore, in a world where good is often called evil and evil is now called good, we need some good news. Would you agree with me this morning? We need some genuine good. Good that has no agenda. Good that is not politically motivated. Good that is pure, that is innocent. Good that comes from the heart. Good that is the salt of the earth. You see, in my 51 years of life, there are three things that I have learned. The first one is, life is hard. Not going to lie to you this morning. Not going to sugarcoat it this morning. Not going to pretend that it's not true. Life is hard. You say, how do you know that? I should take a look around. You look at all the movie stars making millions upon millions. And yet they, uh, marriage after marriage ends in divorce. Married four, five, six times. Family pieces just broken out all over. If money cured the problems, they'd all have perfect lives, but they don't. I look at athletes, great athletes, making tens of millions, hundreds of millions in sports contracts. And yet when you begin to look at their lives, you begin to find out that, that they're addicted to drugs or to alcohol and, and that they uh, end up uh, getting caught for some crime and they end up going to jail and you're sitting there going, I thought their life should have been perfect. They had everything that a person could want. But folks, the fact is, life is hard. Almost everyone leads a quiet struggle in their lives. They may not always say it. They may not always mention it. We all have that friend on Facebook who shares too much, don't we? You know what I'm talking about. That one person that they just don't know when to call it quits. And they, they just tell you every terrible, gory detail that's happened in their lives. But the truth is... More of us feel like that more often than we even want to confess. We struggle with the difficulties of life. Life is hard. The second thing this morning is the world we live in is broken. We live in a world that, is, that is, uh, has been affected by the curse of sin, and it is broken. We live in a society where... Uh, the family system has broken down where we no longer recognize God's order, God's plan, God's system. Can I tell you this morning that what God set up still works? Amen. When you have a husband and a wife and they work together, and I understand it's not all that way. And I mean, and we have to live through whatever our circumstance is and make the very best of it. But God's plan is still the best. Amen. It still works. When we follow his plan, there's a blessing that comes with that. The world is broken. People are crazy. Just, just 20 years ago, things that I thought our society would never get that far. Now, you sit there and you look. I, I turn on the TV or I watch something on YouTube or I see an article on, on the news and I'm just like, oh, my word. How crazy. We can't tell whether a, what a man is and a woman is anymore. I was visiting my sister about a year ago, and we were having a discussion about that. And I said, listen, it's really pretty simple. 
If you need to know the difference between a man and a woman, look down. It's not that hard. But we have turned things around. We have messed things up so badly. Our world is broken and it needs help. And that help can only come from God. Life is hard. The world is broken. And the third thing this morning is everyone is struggling. Everyone is struggling. Those days that you have, those hard days that you have, those times where where you don't feel like getting out of bed in the morning or you have these thoughts just plaguing you all day long, you are not the exception. More people struggle than you can imagine. When you go to the grocery store and the clerk seems like they're grumpy, it's because they're having one of those days. When you go to get your fast food uh, meal and the order is wrong, it's probably because the person in the window is having one of those days. When you drive by a guy and you're going a little too slow and they stick up their hand and give you an obscene gesture that's not really a wave, they're probably having one of those days. Folks, we live in a world that is hurting, a world that is broken, a world that is struggling. And in the midst of that, God's word tells us some 750 times, do good, make a difference. Be a light. Touch someone's heart. You don't have to be a prophet. You don't have to be a priest. You don't have to be a king. You don't have to be a great political figure. You don't have to be an actor or actress. You don't have to be great at sports to make a difference in someone else's life. Just be you and do good. Four things I would like for you to to happen this morning from this message first I want to encourage you you go well you haven't started out very well you just told me that we're all struggling just stick with me for a few minutes here I want to encourage you there's enough hard stuff in the world that I'd like you to walk out after 30 minutes of being here this morning or an hour with the service and be able to go out and go man it's okay I'm going to be all right. My family's going to be all right. We can do this. We can make it. I want to encourage you a little bit this morning. Number two, I want to. You see, encouragement is just the opposite of discouragement. It's easy to discourage people. How many of you know what I'm saying? You know, all you got to do is give a slight of eye, say the wrong word. You can discourage people pretty easily. But I want to encourage you, and I want you to encourage others. I, secondly, I want to inspire you. I want to get your creative juices flowing this morning. I'd like to see you go out from church this morning into your community this afternoon or into your workplace this week and to do good to somebody. Find someone who's in need. Find someone who needs a, a touch, a hand on the shoulder, needs someone to pray with them or, or just needs someone to be kind to them, buy them lunch or do something. Find a way to do good this week. Why? Because it's infectious. It'll help you to feel better and it'll help them to feel better. It's way better than COVID. Number three, I want to challenge you. What do I mean? I mean, I want to help you to remove the roadblocks and obstacles that might stand in your way from doing good and ministering to others. This week, in a very real, in a very practical sense, 
Sometimes we go, well, I'm going to be late for work, or I just am not sure if I'm going to say the right words. I want to help remove all those things this morning that cloud the way from doing good. Amen. Let's just go ahead and start piling them out of the way. Clear your path so this week when you get out into your workplace or you get out in your community or you're around your family that it's not hard to do good. Dana did it just yesterday. She went and meet, met with a lady that she worked with a few years ago. Her family's going through a very hard time right now. And she went out and met with them and just had dessert, just, 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 just chat, just to catch up. And in the midst of it, as she found out all that stuff, she stopped and offered. She said, can I pray with you? Just a minute or two. Not having a Bible study, not preaching a sermon. Can I pray with you? In just a minute, in just two minutes, you can affect someone's outlook. You can strengthen them. You can encourage them in the midst of the struggles of life. Number four, I want to motivate you. I want to get you to the place where you don't just talk about it, where you're not just thinking about it, but you actually do it. I want to motivate you to go out and do something good for someone this week. Make a small difference in the world. Someone said this, be the change you want to see in the world. How many of you have ever heard that phrase? Amen. I want to modify that just a little bit this morning. And I would say to you, be the good that you want to see in the world. Be that good. Go out and make a difference and touch someone else. So what does the Bible say about good, about goodness? First thing I want to share with you this morning is the purpose of good. If you look in Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, it says this, God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed by the devil. God looked down and said, the world needs help. I'm going to send my son Jesus. And then he anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power to do what? To do good. Sounds like a primary purpose, a primary protocol. One of the most important things on the list. God anointed Jesus so he could do Good. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, it says this, We, you and I, are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. There it is. That primary protocol is being called back again. God sent Jesus to do good, and then God created us through Christ Jesus to continue doing that good. The Bible go, goes on to say that God prepared those good works before you and I were even born. In other words, the opportunity is already there. You know, Pastor Bomia, I would do good if I had the opportunity. Well, that's wonderful. Because you know what the Bible says? That before you were even born, God prepared the opportunity for you to do good. All you got to do is start looking for them. I guarantee you they are there. There are places, there are times, there are opportunities where you can make a difference in someone else's life. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13 says this, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Wow. God has a plan that is full of good things for you to do. Full of good things for you to do. 
I remember one time when I was about 16 years old, I'd just gotten my license. I had my first vehicle, a little Subaru wagon, gold-colored. I was styling. Not really. But I remember I was driving over here, came down King Hill, went across by Denny's, and there was a little muffler shop there. And I drove by, and there were a bunch of teenagers sitting out there, and they were just hanging out. And as I drove by, I felt like God spoke to me, the Holy Spirit, and said, go back and talk to them. I'm like, I have no clue who these people are and what they're doing. I don't know. I was not my vibe. <laughs> but I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, you need to do this. So I turned my car around. I pulled into that muffler shop. And there on that uh, concrete wall on the side of it, I walked up to them and said, hey, my name's Will. And I go to church for full gospel in Auburn. And I was just driving by, and I felt like the Holy Spirit told me to come and speak to you guys. They just went where did this, what planet did this guy drop off from? I said, I, I just wanted you to know that God loves you and that he cares about you. And, and I don't know anything about you guys or where you're from, but just, just know that God is real and that God thought enough that he kind of spoke to me and said I should pull over and just let you know that he's there. Wherever you are, you can do good. Wherever, whatever your circumstance, you can do good. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to be famous. You don't have to be popular. To do good. God is good. It is his main purpose to affect others in a positive way. Secondly, this morning, not only should we know the purpose of good, but we need to know the path of good. In Psalm 37 and verse 3, it says this, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Trust in the Lord and do good. You see, the first step of doing good is putting your faith in Christ Jesus. It's turning your life over to him, surrendering yourself to him, giving yourself to him. Trust in the Lord and do good. There's a reason why it's in that order. We can all do good, and every time we do good, we reflect the glory of God. We ref reflect the image of God. But most of us should know, hopefully you know this morning, that doing good does not mean that you're saved. Salvation should come forth. It should be a place where you go, God, I'm so tired of doing this alone. I give up and I give you control. You have your way in my life. Trust in the Lord and do good. In Psalm 34 and verse 14, it says it this way. Turn away from evil and do good. First step is to trust in God. Turn your life over to him. Surrender to him. The second step is to turn away from evil. I don't know about you this morning, but one of the things I found out as I've lived life is that I'm not perfect. Much to my chagrin. I'm not comfortable with that, but it's a fact. Do you know a scripture says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God? There is none righteous, no, not one. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us have turned to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. It says this, if we say we have no sin, we make him a liar. There's none of us. If you're waiting until you are good enough, you will never be good enough. If you wait until you're perfect, you will never be perfect. But what you can do is you can surrender to Christ and then you can turn from evil and you begin to do good. 
make a difference. Move the right direction. Luke chapter 6 and verse 35 says this, but love your enemies and do good. So we need to uh, trust in the Lord. We need to turn away from evil, but we also need to love our enemies. Oh, that's a hard one. It's easy to do good to people we love, right? It's hard. Now, listen this morning. I'm not being unrealistic. You say you sit up there. No, 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 no. Do you think that I don't have times where there are people that I would like to just pounce on? You think there aren't times where I would like to be the one to help impart some knowledge to them? Sure there are. And yet God looks at me and God looks at you and he says to us, love your enemies and do good. Trust in the Lord, yes. Turn from, your, uh, from evil, yes. But also love your enemies and do good. And land expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be the sons and the daughters of the Most High. First Peter 3.17 clarifies this. It says this, it is better to suffer for doing good. If that should be God's will, than for doing evil. You see, every one of us at times, we have suffered because we did the wrong thing. And the truth is, we deserve it. But the Bible says it's better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. To make the choice to do the right thing. I'm not telling you it's always going to be easy. I remember one time when I was young in ministry, I had been working in a church, technically with a senior pastor, small church, not a whole lot different than this one. The pastor cast me straight out of Bible school to come and to help him out. He was already semi-retired. And I showed up, and the first Sunday he was there, and he greeted me, introduced me to the church people, and they put Dana and I up. We'd just gotten married, put us up in a little old mobile home out behind the church. And then the next Sunday, I got a call about 8.30 on Sunday morning, an hour and a half before the service started. Brother Willie? I said, yeah. Everybody calls me Will now. He says, I think you need to bring the word this morning. I'm like, okay. So I scrambled and threw together a message. Sunday morning came. The next, uh, that morning, he, I, I got to service, and he didn't show. And I led the service, and I preached. I was like, okay, well, that was interesting. The next morning, about two hours before church service, the phone rang. Brother, I think you need to bring the word. And I'm like, okay. So I scrambled and I threw together a message. Now, my mama raised a lot of kids, but I'm hoping I wasn't one of the dummies. It only took me a couple of weeks to figure out that this guy wasn't going to show up. And so for the next two years, I studied and prepared for every Sunday service, and out of that, only five times did he ever show up on a Sunday morning service. Five times. And I preached. 
and I pastored. And God moved. That little church took off. And in a matter of two years, we went from 30 to about 65, 70 people. We had whole families who came into the church. People got saved. We saw one guy with heart disease that was healed. Another one that had cancer. Great things were happening. We were excited. And all of a sudden, this, this older gentleman, this pastor, showed back up again. And then he decided he was just taking over again. And he started telling stories every Sunday. And after a few weeks, people are coming to me and going, what in the world's going on? Why is he here now? What are you going to do? And I'm like, what am I supposed to do? I'm not officially the pastor. I don't know. I had a meeting coming up with the district office about my credentials, and I told my wife, Dana, I said, I don't know what to do about this. This is a mess. <clears throat> Several months had gone by, and he was just telling stories every Sunday until people were turning green. They were like, oh, my word, what's going on? I don't know. I didn't know whether I should mention anything or not, and on the way to the meeting with the district office, I said, babe, I said, I don't know what to do. I said, I've made up my mind. Here's how I'm going to handle this. If they bring it up and they ask me what's going on, I'll be honest and I'll tell them. If they don't, I'm not saying anything. And we'll just have to figure out what we do from here. We got down to the meeting, got about halfway through the meeting, and I'm like, well, we're going all right. They're not saying anything. And then they popped the question. They said, so we're hearing rumors. What's going on up there? I'm like, oh, crud. So I told the district superintendent exactly what had happened and what had taken place and how I was doing uh, all the preparation for all the sermons. I did all the Bible studies. I led the annual business meetings. I was doing it all. The man hadn't been there, and then all of a sudden started showing up. He said, well, we're going to take care of this. I'm like, okay. A couple weeks later, he shows up at the older pastor's door Sunday morning before church. He says, you're going to go in, and you're going to resign this morning. That old-time pastor, he'd been in that maritime district all his life, and he'd started a bunch of churches, and he had a lot of friends in a lot of high places. And he looked at that superintendent, and he said, I'm like a mule. He said, I've dug in my heels, and I ain't moving. Superintendent packed up his car and went straight back without coming to the church and left me holding the bag. That old-timer comes to church on Sunday morning and says, what in the world have you been saying to the superintendent? And I'm like, I'm in trouble now. He said, you're resigning this morning. I did. Did exactly what he asked. Unfortunately, the church fell apart within a matter of just a few weeks. Several months had gone by. I was still living in the community. I was waiting on God, what the next move was, and I was struggling. Because my intention had never been to hurt that minister. And it broke my heart that I was in the position I was in and he felt the way he did about me. And finally one morning, I drove down to his house and I went to see him one afternoon. When I got to his house, I knocked on the door. His wife came and answered and I said, I'm here to see Pastor so-and-so and I just want to talk with him. She looked at me and she said, he's not interested in talking to you and neither am I. You can leave right now. I said, all right. I was broken hearted. 
I left their house and I drove about three blocks down to the corner and I pulled in by a gas station and I put the car in park and I just broke down and wept. I said, God, I don't know what to do. I didn't intend for this mess to happen. I didn't want to hurt this guy. I was just trying to figure out what the right thing was to do in a bad situation. All of a sudden, while I'm sitting there and tears are streaming down my face, I hear this You see, in New Brunswick, Canada, they have mobile car washes all over a lot of different places on the corners by gas stations. Little did I know I had pulled in next to this mobile car wash. And the guy started things up, comes over, and he's spraying my car down. I'm thinking, man, do I even have five bucks in my wallet to pay this guy? I don't. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and he said this, just like your car is now clean, you're clean. You did the right thing. You took care of your end. You see, it's easy to do good to those that you love and those that love you. But it's hard to do good when people mistreat you, when they misuse you, when they malign you, when they say things that are half-truth or untrue. But God still calls upon us to do what he did. Because the scripture says that even when we were doing wrong, God loved us. And he calls upon us to do the same thing. A third thing this morning I want to talk to you about is the perpetuation of good. How do we keep this thing rolling? In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10, it says this. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone especially to those that are of the household of faith. Let us do good to everyone. You never know who it is that you're going to impact. You never know who it is that you could touch. You never know who it is that you could be the difference in their lives. Some of those things, only eternity will tell. How you may have changed someone's life, how you may have saved someone's life in just a moment by doing good. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 13 it says, "As for you brothers, do not grow weary in doing good." So not only should we do good to everyone, but this verse tells me that it's real easy at times to get tired of doing the right thing. I have a saying that I often have said to my kids when they're growing up. Do the right thing. And when you get tired of that, do the right thing. And when you're sick of that, do the right thing. When you've had enough of that, do the right thing. Now, I can't tell you I've always been perfect in that, but I'm telling you that that works. Do the right thing. Even when others don't understand, even when it's hard and it's difficult, make the choice, make the decision to do the right thing. Don't grow weary. Don't get tired of doing the right thing. You may at times, but go back to your source, go back to your foundation, get to God, get some rest, and pick things up again and start moving forward. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24, it says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. 
So not only should we be doing good to everyone this morning, not only should we be careful not to grow weary in doing good, but we need to stir up other people so that they do good. Doing good is infectious. Doing good is contagious. When you affect someone for the positive, and they see that and they feel the impact of that, that gets carried forward. How many of you have ever heard or read or seen an article on the internet or watched a, uh, a TikTok video or YouTube video about someone doing good, paying it forward? Have you ever seen that? They go through a drive-through and they pay for the lunch behind them and that person drives up, pays for the lunch behind them, right? Those things, why? Because it makes a difference. It lightens someone's day. It takes a load off their shoulders. It puts a smile on their face that someone thought of them. It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be huge. It doesn't have to be expensive to stir up someone else to also do good in the world around them. You see, you may not be able to change the whole world, but you can definitely change someone's world. Simply by doing good. As I get ready to close this morning, I'm reminded of my many years right here in this church, starting when I was about 10 years old. At the time, my dad was struggling. He wasn't attending church. My mom got tired of fighting with him and, and arguing with him, and so she wasn't attending church. And so the only way I was going to get to church is if I made it happen myself. And at 10, 11 years old, I made up my mind I was going to do that. And so I called some friends of mine that lived in the area. You probably remember Leroy and Cecile Morse. They were coming to church down here in Auburn to what then was called Full Gospel Tabernacle right here. And so that morning... One Sunday morning, they came and they picked me up, and in their big old van, we drove up here to church. Here I was, just a little kid, still wet behind the ears. And there was no reason for anybody here to take notice of me. But the pastor that was here at the time looked down, saw that little kid, and he saw something. And in his heart and his mind, he said, I'm going to do some good right there. He took me under his wing. He worked with me, and he helped me, and he encouraged me. Couldn't tell you how many times I cried on his shoulder, not literally, but, but mentally, emotionally. I just, I'd pour out all my belly aches, my cares, my concerns, and he'd listen hour after hour all that time. And he kept saying to me, Will, God's got a plan for you. Willie, God's got a plan for you. You follow God. He'll make it happen. How many times that I sat right here at these altars, knelt and prayed. People would come down and pray with me just, to, just a kid. And slowly I grew and I became a teenager. I'll never forget the day when I had a conversation with him. And he said to me, he said, Willie, he said, I'm looking for someone to be a youth pastor in the church, and I can't find anybody. Nobody in the church will do it. Nobody wants to touch it with a 10-foot pole. I was only 15 at the time. I said, I'll do it. 
I had nothing to lose. I'm 50 and I'm a kid myself. I'll do it. He said, okay. He took a chance on me. He did some good in my life. I went down and met down in that kitchen, me and two girls. That was what we started with. About a year later, we were running about 30 youth on our events, 15 on our Wednesday night youth meetings. God multiplied the youth, began to fill up the church. It wasn't because I was anything great. It was because someone saw something in me and said, I'm going to do some good right there. He gave me an opportunity. Got my feet wet here, went to church. I was recounting this morning, thinking about it, that I was at this church one uh, every week about seven times a week. Monday through Friday, I was here for school. Wednesdays, I would drive out, go to work at Bolsters Decorating. They owned their main shop in South Paris, and they owned a shop in Bridgeton, and they had one down here on Center Street in Auburn. I would go work for a few hours, and then I would come back, and I would do youth here. And then every other Saturday, we had an event. So seven, eight times a week, I was in and out of here. I'd go home some nights, drop into bed at 10 p.m. at night after I got done driving kids home from youth. I made sacrifices, and I did the work that I felt God called me to do because I saw other people doing the same thing. They did good, and it inspired me to do good, to make a difference, to impact others, to touch people's lives. You don't have to wait until you're special, till you're big, till you're important. You just need to go ahead and take the opportunities that God sets in front of you right now to affect somebody else's life. Their goodness changed the course of my life. I want to encourage you this morning. Don't let your imperfection stop you from impacting your world. Get in and get going and make a difference. Make a decision to do something good for someone around you this week. Remove the obstacles. Take the barrels out of the road and make a decision. I'm going, would you do that with me right now? Could we just take a minute and bow our heads? And would you just talk to God? And would you make a solemn commitment to God this morning to do something for someone this week? It may be this afternoon when you walk out of this building. It may be tomorrow at work or, or, someone, or somewhere with your family this week or in your community. But would you make a commitment with me, a vow before God? I'm going to do something good for someone this week. God, I'm going to make a difference. God, you show me the opportunity. Give me the opportunity. Show me the right thing to do. I'm going to do it. I'm going to touch people. I want to touch their hearts in just a little way. I'm not looking for thanks. I'm not looking for praise. I'm not looking for adulation. I, I just simply want to help them and bless them. Maybe it's a word of prayer. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's buying someone lunch. Maybe it's being kind. Maybe it's dropping off dinner at a neighbor who's sick. Maybe it's mowing the lawn for someone who can't do it themselves. Maybe it's giving someone a ride. Maybe it's picking flowers for an elderly person, dropping them off for them, buying some and giving them to them. But God, help us to find the opportunity. Let us be light in a world that seems overshadowed by darkness. God, help us to spread the light, to spread the love, 
and to make a difference. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone says, Amen. 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 God bless you this morning. Hallelujah.